Thanks for joining us for Life Community Church. Well, good morning. Yes, my name, oh, I knocked my water down, is Liz. I am one of the lead pastors here at Life, and it's really good to be with you. Um, I know that it looks like it's winter outside, but for me, it feels like it's spring because I'm emerging from this long January uh, that has kept me down for quite some time. So, yes. Family, some of us in our family got COVID, quarantine, a week of fatigue, you know, and then we finally emerge out of that. And then I got hit with another virus that wasn't COVID. I'm back sick again. Snow days. I lost my voice, you know, for a week. Dan had to fill in for me, which it's really hard to parent small children when you have no voice. Um, you're like, motioning and clapping and I'm typing things into Google Home constantly that's broadcasting, like, you know, my requests and demands. Um, <laughs> that's basically how they learned to take orders from me this past week. <clears throat> so it's been interesting. But, you know, I would, I'm, I'm back. So that feels, that feels good. So, um, what is uh, something that as you got to know your spouse or significant other um, that was different about their family than maybe your family of origin? Think about that. It can be big or little, right? There's lots of differences between us even as spouses and significant others. In my family, one of our favorite foods, pancakes. We love to eat pancakes. Um, my dad would make them quite often, <clears throat> and always paired with pancakes was 100% real pure maple syrup in my house. So as Dan and I um, became acquainted with one another and were dating, one time he came over to my house, um, my dad made pancakes, and on the table, 100% pure maple syrup, he goes to pour his, you know, we're serving ourselves food, and, and he, he kind of looks confused as he's pouring it on his plate, like, why is this so thin and, and drippy, and what is this, you know, and I'm like, it's 100% pure maple syrup, it's only the best stuff you eat with pancakes, and he's, he's struggling to make it through this meal, I can tell he's doing his best to oblige us as a family, but it's not going so well for him on the inside. And I come to learn that he's never had pure maple syrup, right? He grew up on the, the log cabin, Mrs. Butterworth, um, really delicious thick syrup. <clears throat> and I was kind of appalled that uh, he didn't like the best quality syrup that you could buy on the market. He thought it was disgusting. Oh, how could he, you know? Um, thankfully, I will say that he has evolved in our marriage, and I have converted him to pure maple syrup. Now that's what we buy together in our house. No judgment if you like, you know, the, the thick, delicious syrup as well. Um, even we, sometimes his family will go to Funk's Grove and get the maple syrup straight from our local trees, right? So that stuff is really delicious. 
Um, if you haven't ever been to Funk's Grove and purchased their maple syrup, really delicious. So maybe you can think of some of those differences that you've experienced as you've gotten to know um, another family. Maybe one of your families was, you know, more on the introverted side, a quieter, calmer family. Maybe you know a family that's more energetic, more brothers and sisters, more vocal and loud. Maybe it was a, a sports dedication, you know, um, dedicated to one team or one type of sport. Maybe it goes a little bit deeper to the religious backgrounds that we, we grow up in or the political backgrounds that we grow up in that, that bring those tensions as we get to know each other. It can be even simple things like um, spending habits, right, or how we do chores around the house, things that we notice that go, that, that rub us the wrong way because it's different than how we do things. And the human heart is prone to moralize these differences, right? They say something about our worth and, and our value rather than just being differences. Well, when Jesus came on the scene <clears throat> 2,000 years ago, there were two very distinct uh, spiritual groups of people in the world. There were the Jews and the Gentiles. And these two groups of people had various um, identification markers about them that go much, much deeper than just like the maple syrup, you know, pure versus Butterworth. And a few weeks ago, because we took a little hiatus last week with um, uh, me having to pull out from preaching, but we've been in this series in Ephesians. And so a few weeks ago, we talked about um, our oneness in Christ. Dan talked about our oneness in Christ, how we used to live dead in our sins, but we have been united with Christ's death. We've been united with his resurrection, and we have this new union with Jesus. And we're given this new glorious identity. We're made into his masterpiece, and we have these plans that God has thought of long ago that he's invited us into. And as we continue in chapter 2, he preached on the, the first half of chapter 2, we see that, okay, so our individual unity in Jesus now is forming into this new family of God unity. It's this community unity that is being um, explained in, in, in glorious uh, vision here. And so Jesus has now made one new family of God. These individuals that have new identity become this new symphony of God that he's birthing and creating, uniting us all under the peace of Christ. So if you have uh, your Bibles or your device, I'll also have it up on the, the screen. We'll be in chapter 2, um, starting in verse 11. <clears throat> Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship among the people of Israel. 
and you did not know the covenant promises God had made known to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And, on, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near to him. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. This is the glorious good news that we as Gentile believers have brought, been brought near to Christ. That Jesus has made a way for us to receive peace. And this good news of, of peace that Paul is talking about, it does have to be understood kind of in the larger uh, scope of Scripture. You know, this this buildup of Jew and Gentile relationship over the course of, of history. Um, God's strategy has always been to take a, take a few people and, and watch his glory multiply to many people. It's a relational strategy. He chooses a few and it multiplies to many. And this was the story back in the Old Testament. After, Ab after Adam and Eve um, chose to follow their own way instead of God's, sin and brokenness became the human story. But God's heart is to restore humanity, restore relationship with him and each other. So he, he chooses a man, Abraham, to establish a covenant with. And this begins this story of Jew and Gentile relationship that we see reconciled in this passage. So, so Abraham becomes this man that God establishes a covenant with. Okay? And so we see this way back in Genesis. This is what God tells Abraham. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will become among them, like Jesus. And I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. Each male among you must be circumcised. Your bodies will bear the mark of my everlasting covenant. So God chose this family, this group of people to be his people. And he asked them to be circumcised as a mark of this covenant, as a mark of this new identity. And, and Abraham has, has faith and believes that God's going to multiply his family and he circumcises his family. Now, Abraham wasn't 
perfect in every way. You read the Old Testament and God chooses these people and they obey, but they also disobey. Um, But God is faithful to his covenant. And so he chooses this nation, the nation of Israel, to be his people. And they are the Jews. They are God's chosen people and he chooses to dwell with them. But he says, you are to be a light and a blessing to all other nations and display my glory. And as this lineage continues, God chooses another man named Moses to be a leader and to continue the covenant and lead the people of Israel in this covenant. And this is what he tells um, Moses in Exodus. He says, now if you obey and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. So if you were not in this Jewish people group, you were considered a Gentile. And a Gentile is anyone belonging to any other nation or people group other than the nation of Israel. So you and I are Gentiles. And Gentiles didn't worship the one true God. They probably worshiped many gods. They um, worshiped idols and did idol sacrifice. And through that would hope that, you know, if they could just earn God's, uh, the gods, the many gods' favor through their sacrifice, that they could, you know, things would go well for them. And God made it clear the nation of Israel was meant to be a witness to the rest of the world that as Gentiles were drawn to the one true God and drawn to this this one true faith, God gave Moses instructions on how to graft people in, how to circumcise those that wanted to be a part of the Jewish faith. God's covenant was to be a unifying covenant, creating unity. But as the biblical story progresses and as humanity progresses, we see that unity wasn't always upheld, right? The dysfunctions of humanity are in Abraham's family, just like they're in the rest of the world. And so his, his family starts to fracture, and God brings the prophets along and calls them to greater things and, and calls them to holiness and calls them to the hope of the Messiah coming who would reunite Israel and all people into one family. The way that Abraham's family and nation were to be a witness turned into an us-and-them mentality. They let hostility and division take root in their heart. And it produced a much different result than what God had intended for them. So here, there's these two spiritual groups of people that hate each other and oppose each other. The Jews prided themselves in their elevated status as God's people. They prided themselves as circumcised people. They prided themselves that the Messiah was coming just for them. Now the Gentiles, as Paul says, you know, that they were far from God. They were without hope. That's because they lived outside of the, the promises of God. And they lived <clears throat> with the world's philosophy. 
They probably didn't have a knowledge of the one true God. They were living apart from God without hope. When, when Jesus came, <clears throat> the world was dominated by ancient Greek philosophy at the time. So if you were a Gentile, that's the way of the world. And the ancient Greek philosophers, um, some of them believed in the existence of cosmic cycles. So Stoics theorized that <clears throat> the sun would periodically heat up the world and cause a great fire and everything would burn up and start over again. And uh, the, the gods would um, use elements of air and water and fire and recreate the earth. And so humanity would start over again and human progress and knowledge and everything would kind of start over again. So there was no hope of where humanity was going. There was no hope after you died. You really were without hope. You, you lived and you struggled and you suffered, but then at some point you died and that was the end of your existence. And then at some point the world was at the end of its existence and it would start over again. Now the Jews, on the other hand, were outsiders to the true heart of God, right? They were living diligently by these covenant rules and regulations, but they didn't let it affect their heart, Paul says. <clears throat> Both groups are spiritually broken. And, and Paul is writing this letter while he is in prison. We've talked about that in, in maybe the first week. Paul's in prison when he's writing this letter to the people in Ephesians. So the church in Ephesus um, has been going on for a few years, several years. Paul even spent about three years, close to three years, there every day teaching, uh, meeting with people. He established this church in Ephesus, and he's stuck in jail right now. But he's writing to remind the church of its identity, remind the church of who they are. And he's stuck in jail, and he's stuck in jail for the very thing that he is writing about. <clears throat> he's saying that the gospel is uniting us together, that Christ in his own body put to death hostility so that we could be one family of God. One new family of God with the wall of hostility broken down. What would that look like today? It, I think it almost feels impossible, right, for Christians to live like this because it's like we're so divided. We're, we have so much hostility. It's, it's a problem. What would it look like if we just started small, like in this family of God, in our community right 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 here where we're at what would it what would, what would it look like i think it would it would look something like taking not taking offense not letting offense take root in our hearts and cause bitterness and destroy us not always being right about everything allowing space for somebody else to disagree with us, to be different from us, and not letting it change our 
our worth of that person. We'll get to Ephesians 4 where it talks about even more unity. I mean, it just, this theme just goes on and on and on. And just a, a little sneak peek, Ephesians 4, 2. No, it's, yep, 2. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. <clears throat> Christ has brought us peace to be able to live like this. He says that the wall of hostility has been broken. Now, this is a physical wall that he's talking about, but it's also a, a, a spiritual wall, a spiritual mindset that we have a heart posture against people that are different, that are outsiders. And in this context, it's outsiders to the Jewish faith. So in the, in the temple... This wall of hostility was a, was a real thing. So the temple in Jerusalem is the main place of worship and God's presence, right? It's sacred holy space. You can see this small wall, okay? You see that small wall? That is the wall of hostility that, uh, that Paul is referencing because the Gentiles were not allowed past that wall. There is some space outside that you can't quite see kind of where those words are. There is space where the Gentiles were allowed to be. That was their allowed, you know, place, the court of the Gentiles. But you couldn't pass that small perimeter wall. And there was actually an inscription that says, <clears throat> no one of another nation not one of another nation to enter within the fence and enclosure around the temple. And whoever is caught will have himself to blame that his death ensues. And so Paul is in prison because he is caught, supposedly, bringing somebody past this wall. We know it because Acts tells us. It says, the seven days were almost ended when some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple and roused a mob against him. They grabbed him, yelling, Men of Israel, help us! This is the man who preaches against our people everywhere and tells everybody to disobey the Jewish law. He speaks against the temple and even defiles the holy place by bringing Gentiles in. For earlier, they had seen him in that day with Trophimus, a Gentile from Ephesus, and they assumed... Paul had taken him in the temple. So they seize him. A mob seizes him, and, and, any, and he is in jail for this very thing of saying, the wall of hostility is broken down. In Christ's body, he has put it to death. And now everyone has access to the most holy of holies, God's presence. The gospel makes peace between two unreconciled people. The gospel is the thing that reconciles us to God and us to one another. And the gospel is being attacked back then when Paul is living the gospel. And the gospel continues to be attacked to this day. Hostility, division, offense, Racism, they're all attacks on the gospel. The church is meant to reflect this identity 
of peace and oneness through the blood of Christ, that that wall of division has been broken down. And when we don't have that, we've lost sight of the work of what the gospel does, the work of what the gospel does in our hearts. We moralize our difference, right? We assign value to them. We don't just say, oh, this person is different or this group is different. No, we say that they're worse. And we have a superiority complex because what we think is different about us becomes our identity. You You might say of yourself, yeah, I'm a hardworking person. That's a description of, of who I am. And you know that hard, being hardworking is really important to your identity and your self-worth when you feel really proud of it. And when you feel like, oh, I, I actually can't stand people that aren't as hardworking as I am, right? They, they irritate me. And how, why don't they have this ethic like like I do, because that becomes a big identity factor for you. It's not just like, oh, that person doesn't work as hard as me, oh well. <laughs> it's that you can't stand people that don't work as hard as you. Anything like that can become a dividing wall in our hearts. Anything can be erected in our hearts, dividing us from other people. That's a simple example, but I mean, it goes deep right now in our pandemic, right? Our masks versus unmasks, our vaccinated versus unvaccinated, what story you're listening to and narrative you're talking about, it's deep. We dehumanize the other side so quickly, and we must untangle ourselves from that hostility. Paul shows us that the gospel does heart surgery. It does soul surgery. It destroys the hostility that has taken root in us because all people are lost and broken. The gospel is the great equalizer that says we are all lost and broken. We all need to be reconciled to God by means of the cross. Dan and I, when we lived in uh, northern Wisconsin at a camp up there, One of our favorite activities was broom ball. And you might not know what broom ball is. It's kind of like hockey, but not quite. (laughs) And so it's played on ice. And um, we would make these ice rinks um, just out of hose water, and it would freeze at night. And it was a great pastime. Um, It's played on ice. You just wear your regular snow boots or shoes, whatever you got on, and the ball is about this big. It's a little bit softer, and then you have a stick. It's kind of like a triangle square, you know, bottom, and just like hockey, you got your two teams, you got your goalie, and you're trying to get it into the opposite uh, goal, and so we would always say that the ice is the great equalizer, because a youth group would come out and, you know, you have the, the kid who plays sports, who thinks he's going to, you know, be like the top player and be really good. And he'll be running with, you know, trying to walk on the ice and go for a goal. And what happens? Boom. He slips right outside of under him, hits the ice. He's done, right? 
You try to go for the ball, you know, you slipping all over the ice. And so the person that thinks they're going to be really good isn't. And the person that is maybe not so good at sports, man, they know how to just on the ice and get a little good shot. And they're not trying to prove anything. And all of a sudden, they're the star of the team. And so the ice becomes this great equalizer between those people that, you know, think they're really good at sports and, and those that aren't, right? And everyone can come out and kind of play with equal skill. And so the gospel is this great equalizer between all of humanity. We are all spiritually broken, and we're all equal before God. We all have great worth and value in God's heart. And grace is the way in. And so we all can enter this new family of God. And then this new family of God becomes God's dwelling place. That holy of holies is right here. God says, my holy of holies is now the community of people. My presence will be with the community of people. And so the last part of, of chapter 2 is like the crescendo. Verse 19, the heading is a temple for the Lord. It says, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. The wall is broken down. The hostility has been put to death. Those of us who were once far away from God without hope have been brought near. And now we become this, this home, this house, this temple, this place where the spirit of God dwells. And it's a new and greater family being built through repentance and faith and grace. We're all brought near. And the Spirit fills this new family. The Spirit gives us the means to be this new family together. This new family is made up of very diverse people. I mean, we should be confused why we're all together. If it isn't for the blood of Jesus bringing us Together, people from different social and ethnic backgrounds all come together as one. Our position, our status before God is the same. And we all have the same access to the Father. We're becoming this holy temple. That's the language used, becoming it's a process. It's something that we live into until Jesus comes again in the second coming. This new family of God, man, it's an ongoing work. We have to, we have to cultivate it. We all get to play a part in it. We all get to invest in it. 
The church is a, a living and breathing body. We can, we can invest in its health or we can neglect it and disregard the body. And so you are all here investing in this body. Let's keep going with that. Stewarding this, this, this family of God that he dwells in with his spirit, his presence among us. We abide in Christ individually and we abide in Christ as a community. We get to steward his presence here among us. And then we go out from this place and we take his presence with us to our families and our workplaces, our neighbors, and we go on that mission with Jesus every day. Dan's sermon last week was, was a home run in this, in this category of, of looking for those open doors that God is inviting us to. That's, that's what this kingdom life is all about, being on a partnership with God, having spiritual conversations with people, seeing who he's highlighting in our life and asking us to pray for and asking us to listen to and encourage and, and serve <clears throat> as this new family of God. We together get to partner with his spirit to bring kingdom life to our community. And that starts with each of us each day in little and small ways, looking for those invitations of his presence, how we dwell with him and how we interact with others. Where is God calling us to work with him? So let's pray. <clears throat> God, we are grateful that you have united us as one new family. We have done nothing to deserve it, nothing to create it. It is a gift that you've given to us. You brought us your peace. And you've put to death the walls of hostility in our own hearts between people. God, show us this morning how we can how we can put to death those walls in our hearts that we still that still remain. God, I pray that we can enter your presence right now as a family, that we can enter worship as a family. I pray that you would meet us here this morning, that your spirit would dwell with us and that um, we would just have joy and peace and love as we, we engage with you and you speak to us. So, Holy Spirit, come and be present and let us turn our face towards you, God, this morning. We love you. In your name, amen. At Life Community Church, we want you to experience the powerful, life-changing love of God. To learn more, go to lifemohammed.org. lifemohammed.org.